I'm McKinney Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing. So get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. Hey, Legacy Leavers, thank you for joining us on the Walk of My Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5% most popular show globally, where we have conversations with extraordinary women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to own their voices to create impact, prosperity, and legacy. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony, and since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today, we have Sonia Joss. She's a mother, wife, mindset, and wellness expert, and one of the country's most influential voices in mental and physical well-being. Sonia has been imparting her honest and groundbreaking approach to mind and body as a speaker, educator, author, and advocate for over a decade. She is consistently ranked one of Canada's top health influencers. She's also a certified personal trainer and a renowned media expert, having appeared in Vogue India, Huffington Post, National Post, Breakfast Television, Global Morning, and much, much more. And she's been named one of Canada's top power women by Optimize Magazine. Please welcome to the show, Sonia Jaw. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, my God. That was like very overwhelming. You know, <laughs> it's like most of the time I'm just uh, running around after my children and they're just like, Mom, I need milk. And so this is yeah, that was lovely. Thank you for reminding me that I've like done some things and that I'm just like not failing at life in the current <laughs> moment. <laughs> You are absolutely welcome. And I just want to start by saying you are more than enough. I feel like, I mean, especially when you're an entrepreneur and you're a mom and you feel like most of your day does consist of like managing, you know, little people um, and sometimes big people. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. like just being reminded, you know, of our contribution to this world. Um, You know, it's who you are, what you've done. Yeah, it's always nice to get that little reminder. The juggle is real and the struggle is real. It's all very real. And so, yes, yeah, that was that was a lovely little start to our conversation. Thank you. <laughs> the struggle is definitely real. <laughs> so first off, I just want to thank you for agreeing to come on and share your story with us. I was looking at, so both of us were, I guess we had spreads in the Revolution Her magazine and I was flipping through and I thought who is this beautiful brown woman and I thought like you can just see your your inner beauty like your outer beauty is obvious but your inner beauty just shines through the page and I was like I need to know her I need to have her on the podcast she needs to be my new bestie because she's talking about mindset too so thank you for saying yes oh likewise I mean in just you know, being asked to be on the podcast, it was like such an honor. And then to sort of really dive into what it is that you do and the impact that you're having and how successful this podcast is like, you know, even in your intro where you're like, I just get inspired when I see other women, you know, doing amazing things. I was like getting goosebumps being like, Oh my God, like, look at what she's done and what she's (laughs) created. It's, it's amazing to see the impact. So really the honor is mine to be on the podcast. And I'm excited for our conversation today. I feel like, you know, we've both got convoluted, evolving stories that hopefully will, you know, give people some things to chew on and, and, you know, some nuggets that they can walk away with. Because as I said, the struggle is real. (laughs) (laughs) Most definitely. And I'm excited to, you know, learn more about your story and talk about where you are presently. But before we do that, I love to ask Mm -hmm. as an icebreaker question, because, you know, as as kids, we have these vivid imaginations of who we want to be and what we want to do when we grow up before mm-hmm. society starts to limit us and, you know, change our conditioning of, of what we become. Right. Um, I would love to know. I was going to say I would love to know, you know, what you wanted to be as a little girl, but I would actually 
be more interested in what you were like as a teenager? Oh, these are, oh my gosh. Wow. We're, yes. They're, <laughs> they're going to be like, oh my gosh, I should have started with a different question. She hijacked the conversation for the next hour um, because they're both interesting conversations. Let's go with the one that you want to anchor on, which is what I was like as a teenager. Um, and actually, interestingly enough, I think this direction that we're headed in is in a way going to sort of tackle the first question as well, which is like, what did I want to be when I was growing up? Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up with uh, pretty strict um, South Asian parents. Um, you know, they both independently came here to do their masters. They met here, got married, and very quickly sort of got off on the track of being in the corporate world, which at the time for Indian immigrants was a little bit less common. And they were sort of, they were driven, they were focused, and they were very quickly making sure that they were playing the game right over here. So it was like academia was critical, image was critical, being well-rounded was critical, and it was heavily sort of enforced in everything that we were taught in the household. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that just based on the fact that that was what the vibe was. Like, you didn't question it. You knew that there was excellence expected and demanded. And it wasn't that, like, you know, somebody was running around hitting you or screaming at you. There was this air of discipline, structure, excellence, and everything that we were to do was to sort of fuel that agenda of becoming successful, getting married, having a beautiful home, having enough money, having Mm -hmm. children, that classic facade. And Mm -hmm. so when you asked me like, you know, what did you want to be when you were little before society took over? My parents took over like by the time I was two. Mm -hmm. So earliest part of me, the earliest part of me wanted to become a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or maybe a teacher before I realized that that wasn't exactly considered elitist enough at the time. Mm. And it's not probably what I actually wanted to be. And as we'll see later on in my life, I did not end up becoming any of those things. And so it was just this idea that I had very early on that like in order to be good enough, I had to be excellent at one of those things. And so in high school, it was interesting. You know, elementary school, I sort of breezed through. And then in high school, you know, when you start to like pick your courses and, you know, everything isn't just generic, like math, English, science, you know, you go into algebra, geometry and physics (laughs) and chemistry and all those things. You know, I thought that I was going to become at this point in time, like a computer engineer because Waterloo was an amazing university, co-op had become a big thing, computer engineering was considered like the next big sort of field. And I was like, okay, I'm either going to become a computer engineer or I'm going to become a doctor. Now you can only do those things if you don't fundamentally suck at (laughs) physics, chemistry, (laughs) algebra, geometry. And I, I mean, I didn't suck at biology, but that was like not enough to give me enough of a, you know, a head start here when I was sort of competing to get good grades. And so high school was extremely challenging for me because I was fully consumed by the image that I needed to portray, that I was doing well enough in school, that everything was on track that I was, you know, the ideal child while not doing well enough in school, hiding my report cards from my parents, sometimes whiting out the grades on my report cards so they wouldn't see it, um, and really struggling with body image and really trying to figure out how I externally look the way I thought beauty was defined as, as at the time. And so, my high school experience was really unusual, actually, as opposed to it being like this like wild time where I was like sneaking out and partying and drinking and really like coming into my own. I'd say sort of grade 11 onwards. It was a time of anxiety and stress and a lot of internal conflict and hiding. Like I spent a lot of time hiding my pain and my struggles because I didn't feel like my parents would ever understand sort of what it is that I was going through. I didn't feel like they would empathize. And I've always had, you know, an eight-year-older brother who was 
gifted from day one, like not like pretend mm-hmm. gifted, but like, like, like <laughs> fundamentally IQ gifted. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was a very different experience for them with him. And then I came onto the scene eight years later being loud and energetic and boisterous and fundamentally not gifted. And I felt like I just, I didn't stack up and yet I didn't have the courage or the bravery to bring my authentic self into the, into the mix in my family growing up. And to be honest, I don't even think I knew that there was an authentic self somewhere in there. I think Mm -hmm. I had bought into the narrative so early on that to me, it was this evaluation criteria that I needed to satisfy, that I really believed I should satisfy, and that I was constantly not measuring up to. And so you lead into teenage hormones and (laughs) teenage angst and having crushes on boys and then you know, this major sort of secret that I was keeping from my parents or felt like I was keeping from my parents that I'm, I'm not doing well enough. I'm not okay. Um, you know, I, I really sort of suffered with body image, as I said, but really like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I wouldn't eat. I was fundamentally anorexic from grade 11 to grade 13 without my parents knowing. And so a lot of shame, a lot of fear, mm-hmm. a lot of guilt a lot of judgment and this interesting notion that I would be able to overcome it all and flourish as soon as I got to university. So fear, but then also this like really false hope that if if I can just make it Mm -hmm. to university and get there, then I can escape and I can like live my life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I'm listening to your story and I hear a lot of times from first generation Canadians, the pressure that is put on them from their families, whether, you know, they're from South Asia, Asia, the Caribbean, you know, mm-hmm. their, their parents came to this country expecting a better life, but all the pressure is put on to, you know, their children and the expectation to basically be an extension of living yeah. out your parents' dreams or, you know, being, I guess, this person that's supposed to be perfect. And mm-hmm. um, the heaviness of that is what I, I hear in your story, you know, the, the pressure and, and how, you know, you have the, the older brother that is a genius and, you know, struggling with eating disorder and things like that. Like we're, we're programmed from kids to be who we are. And mm-hmm. the reason I asked that question is because, you know, it gives us a glimpse into either where your programming, you know, stems from, or, you know, as, as we get older, when we learn or we become aware (laughs) of, you know, some of our childhood wounds and childhood traumas, we're able to unlearn and relearn as we heal those things. Um, But it's, it's, I find it very fascinating to hear the stories of, you know, what you wanted to be as a child or what you were like as a child or what your upbringing like was like as a child, because looking at who you are today. And I by no means want to even create a vision or I guess make it seem that I know what your your life is like, because I, I know mm-hmm. actually as an entrepreneur, what we see online, people may idolize or, you know, look up to mm-hmm. or any of those things and not realize that you're still a human being at home. Yeah. <laughs> like you still yes. go through yes. all of, you know, life struggles. But yes. just seeing the successes that you've been able to have and you know, I listened to your your TED talk and I thought this is the type of life that I want to learn more about because you were mm-hmm. you know, someone who called off the wedding two weeks before and you quit your job <laughs> to become an entrepreneur and you cut off all your long Indian hair. And I thought, <laughs> I'm, I'm a rebel at heart. <laughs> so I was like, this is my yes. kind of girl. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. The journey to becoming Sonia. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yes. Oh, and the journey, I just got goosebumps. It's like, you know, the, the journey to becoming Sonia, it's like, gosh, somewhere along the way, you realize the journey never ends, right? That mm-hmm. there is no, that there is no arrival. And, you know, when you're building a business that is based upon so much of who you are and your journey that continues, yeah, I'll just say it's a really wild ride, right? Because there is no destination mm-hmm. and it's all up to you. And it really involves you staying connected. And for someone, as I alluded to, who was so disconnected 
mm-hmm. you know, from my authentic self, from from who I really am, from from knowing what what matters to me, from even just knowing how I feel, right? To mm-hmm. even just be connected to my feelings and to acknowledge them as valid. Yes. You know, wow, what what a journey it has been to even be able to get to the point now where I am able to tune in and acknowledge and uh, feel and and yet even now, right? It's like that programming that you mentioned, that mm-hmm. that underpinning that we have from from us growing up. It's like, God, it just shows up time and time and time and time mm-hmm. again at every layer of the journey. And then it's like, oh, you've done one modality of therapy. Now let's connect you to your body. Let's go to shamanic therapy. And then you're like trapped emotions everywhere. It's all, and, and, you know, you keep breaking apart and you keep rebuilding and it's all so messy, which is the Mm -hmm. stuff that, as you said, no one gets to see on social media or there, you know, I do my best to at least try and give glimpses here and there. But when you're in the vortex yourself, Mm-hmm. It's so difficult to package the vortex. Yeah. And yeah. so yes, it is it is rebellion, it is connection, it is all of that stuff where it's like, you know, how how do you continue the path to unlayering and getting to know who you really are? Yeah. And oh, I just yeah. yeah, I'm just like, oh, it's so bad. It's so bad, but it's so good. And it's I will so never bad, but it's so bad. <laughs> so I always say like change is very uncomfortable at first, messy in the middle, but beautiful in the end. And I don't remember where I got that from, but I feel like I love it. Own it. Like, Just own it. <laughs> I like that it's yours. To me, it's yours. <laughs> so okay, so now let let's get to the the present. So give us the Coles Notes version of how you got to where you are today, you know, becoming a mindset and wellness expert. It's a great question. And you did allude to some like rather large nuggets. calling off the wedding, quitting the corporate world, shaving off my head, all that sort of stuff. So yes, there were some big moments. And if we come back to it, I think calling off the wedding was probably the largest reclaiming I probably could have gone through at the time, considering I was 22, because I had bought into the entire vision so hard that I was not only willing to date the guy, I was willing to get engaged to the guy, I was willing to be unhappy with the guy. And I was willing to think that that was the price that you pay to then end up where the happy people live. Mm-hmm. And to finally have this epiphany moment where, you know, suddenly you're like, stop the car. <laughs> and you realize that you can't stop the car to mobilize the families and to shatter everybody's dreams was something that I I really didn't want to do. And I I felt a tremendous amount of fear and guilt and shame around. And yet there was something within at the time that was like, you have to escape, you Mm -hmm. have to get out and you have to burn it all down. And Mm -hmm. this may be the biggest mistake you ever make, but it doesn't matter. It is the choice that you have to make. And so I think by tapping into the courage and really facing the idea of like taking responsibility for my life for the first Mm -hmm. time, right? Like for actually being like, you have made this bed and now you get to decide if you're going to sell your soul or you're going to try and reclaim it. And albeit at the time, I didn't know that that's what was going on. So I'm I'm sort of, you know, narrating after the fact, Mm -hmm. but the sentiment at the time was, this is not who you are. You have to get out. Who knows what's on the other side? You'll figure it out. And it was maybe the first moment of trust, like the Mm. faint hint of trust in this idea that I am not meant to feel miserable in my life. Like my, my purpose here is not to feel misaligned and like I'm performing and like I'm constantly living up to the expectations of others. And you know, by calling off the wedding, I think I inadvertently started the spiral towards this deep pull to get to know the real Sonia. Mm -hmm. And so through that came the, yeah, okay, landed the super high paying executive corporate career right out of university. And then acknowledged, you know, day after day for the two years or three years that like, I don't feel good. 
I don't know what I'm supposed to do about that, but I don't feel good. And is this really all there is for me? You know, at the time I had, I, at that, that point was married to my now husband and, you know, I bought a penthouse downtown Toronto, was making a boatload of money, all the things that I thought I wanted, I had, and every day woke up just empty mm-hmm. and longing for a feeling that I couldn't find. And it was like, I had everything I thought I wanted. So like, what, where was the emptiness coming from? And it was actually through that exploration and of course, getting an MBA along the way, because like, when is higher education not the answer to emptiness? So <laughs> yes, got an executive MBA along the way. And then it was like, look, there's like no obvious next steps. You know, I'm not going to go and get my PhD for no reason. I, you know, I don't have an obvious next career step. I had already sort of achieved quite a bit and was like, you know what? Now is the time for me to make peace with my body. Because Mm -hmm. as I mentioned, you know, starting in high school, it was very turbulent for me, right? Like I wanted to be a size zero. I was committed to being a size zero. And I started these waves of punishment where I would deprive myself of food, you know, really shrink down to a very petite size, love it, and then rebound, of course, because, Mm -hmm. you know, how long can you starve for yourself? I'd, you know, rebound, I'd, I'd end up on the other side of the pendulum. I would cope with food, I would binge, I would emotionally eat. And then I would like, commit that I would like fix myself and that I'd get back on the wagon and that this time would be different. And that yo-yo continued for years. It continued from high school all the way to when I was done university and, and it was, uh, you know, more classic anorexia for a while. I was bulimic in university and coming out of university again, I had this like notion that I could just fix myself. And, and I mean, not surprisingly, couldn't just snap my fingers with the husband and the home and the thing and the thing and be like, wow, suddenly I like feel so good from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And so when I didn't have any obvious next steps, I was like, it's time to make peace here. You cannot be looking in the mirror every day, picking apart your body, you know, doing two hours of fasted cardio or eating, you know, two bags of chips to the point that you feel sick. This volatility is eating you alive. Exactly. Exactly. And so I decided to go and rehabilitate essentially my relationship with food and with fitness and not to do it in a way that like suddenly I had this deadline like I always did, right? Like it's like, oh, a wedding is in a month. I got to like shrink down and be, you know, small enough to fit into this dress. This was the first time that I had abandoned the timeline Mm -hmm. and been like, just relearn the fundamentals of fitness and nutrition, reconnect, see what feels good. Let's focus on strength instead of size. Let's focus on nourishment instead of calories. Let's just try and go through this next phase, staying connected so that you can collect data around like, what do you like? Do you even like exercise? Do you even mm-hmm. like food? Like, what, what is it? Like, what is in here? And it's interesting. It's like, you know, by, by really shifting sort of the perspective and taking away the deadline and starting to work with my mind and body instead of against it. Mm-hmm. It's like the war slowly ended and through it, I uncovered this deep passion for, yes, fitness and nutrition, but the mindset piece that goes along with it. And, and how do you finally get off the hamster wheel of weight loss? And And how do you get to a place where you can authentically say, you know, there is no beginning and end to this journey and that it is going to be an evolution where you are allowed to ebb and flow and to make that a part of life because you're not a robot, you are a human. And, you know, very quickly, I was like, you know what, let me just get my personal training certification done. I was still working in the corporate world at this time, but I was like, maybe if I have a baby and I go on mat leave, then I'll be a mother. (laughs) And like, nobody can judge me for not wanting to go back to the corporate world because then they'll be like, oh my God, like look at how much she loves her child. And then through that disguise, I'll be able to like become a personal trainer and then like work with people. Because it felt like maybe this was something 
I could get really excited about, but it was like, who even says that? Like, what are you going to quit the corporate world to become a personal trainer? Like, like very unusual and unexpected. Now Mm -hmm. I'm like, yes, everybody should do that. But 12 years ago, it was like, you're going to throw away your entire education and life to become a personal trainer. It felt very judgy. It felt internally extremely judgy based on the evaluation criteria of my parents. And so (laughs) I was trying to trick myself into being like, you're not really doing this. You're just finding a hobby. You're just, you know, going to just play around with this on the side. And the universe, right? It's like Mm -hmm. I got my personal training certification done. And there was a trainer in downtown Toronto who had not had a period since she was 13, magically got pregnant out of nowhere and can't afford to live downtown Toronto anymore. So has to leave and move to Collingwood. And she had this portfolio of clients with 13 people. And one of the girls was a really good friend of mine. And she was like, you know what? Have your certification. Like, why don't you just take me on to see if you even like this? Like, whatever. Like, I'm not judging you. Like, let's just, let's just see what happens. Mm-hmm. And so I took her on and, you know, had a client in the morning and then would like switch gears and do my like corporate job throughout the day. And then would, you know, sort of go to bed and do that, you know, a few times a week. And then one client turned into three clients, turned into five clients, turned into all 13 clients. And pretty soon I was waking up at four o'clock in the morning, training until nine, doing my job until six, training until 10, finishing the job and all the work that I maybe didn't get to until midnight and then doing it all over again. And it was, yes, exhausting, Mm -hmm. but it was so invigorating because I could feel the contrast, right? I could feel what it was like to come alive between four and eight in the morning Mm -hmm. and then to slowly die a slow and painful death throughout the day in my corporate world. (laughs) And mm-hmm. then to be so excited to come back to work with clients again in the evening. And very quickly, um, I was making enough money through the training that the excuse that I had given myself, which was, well, at the time I was a breadwinner because my husband was in residency, like, how are you going to afford the mortgage? Like, you're the one responsible for the finances. That excuse had suddenly gone out the window because, you know, as I was doing well and taking on more clients, I was able to increase my rate. and suddenly, again, it was like the stories you've been telling yourself Mm -hmm. don't hold any weight or truth anymore. So now what are you going to do about it? Are you going to take the leap? Are you going to take the plunge? You can't deny the feelings you're having. So now either you stay scared and you pretend that your parents are still in charge and that, you know, this is the life you've been forced to lead. Or you decide to change the evaluation criteria, you give yourself a year, quit your job, see what happens. If it doesn't work out, go back to the corporate world. Nothing's happening to your education. Mm -hmm. And so I took the leap, just like I called off the wedding. And very quickly, you know, I created like a cute little website. And then it was, you know, the time of Facebook, God, so ancient, the time of Facebook. So I released you know, a, a page on Facebook with, you know, my handle and was like, I'll just like share content and see like what this is about. And I was really trying to use it as, again, data collection, because being an Indian girl in the health and wellness space felt really unusual and risky, because mm. frankly, brown people are not born and raised to revel at anybody's biceps. Right. Like nobody's looking at Indian muscular girls being like, oh, wow, that's considered beautiful and aesthetically appealing. So and then I also had short hair and I was like, this is either not going to work because the South Asian community is going to be, "Mm, what is this? And I'm going to be too brown for the non-South Asian community. And they're going to be like, "Mm, what is this? Or. I am going to weirdly be the strange intersection of, you know, the shift that people are looking to see for themselves. They just don't really have someone there identifying to them that it's doable. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting. I remember, you know, when I first, re- you know, got into Facebook, I was like, oh, you know, if by the end of the first year, I have a thousand followers, like that's evidence that I'm doing the right thing. And then we'll like see where to go from there. And I think, by the end of the first year, I had 250,000 followers. And it was very clear to me that 
I didn't know where I was going, mm-hmm. but I was on to something. Yeah. And then from there, it was like, well, you know, what is it that you even liked about the corporate world? Like, what is it that you like about what you're doing? And it was like that connection with people, uh, being able to speak and present and bring my personality. And I was like, I don't know, this is like a really weird and childish thing to say, but like, maybe I could be on TV. And again, like with all of that self-judgment, I was like, okay, so then how do I get on TV? And hired a PR firm, got my first couple of segments, you know, did really well and was like, okay, yeah, there's something here. And Mm -hmm. to make a very long story short, it was like, you know, that stage that was set sort of really allowed me to see that like, this is something worth exploring, it's worth pursuing and don't box it in to Mm -hmm. some sort of formula that you have to continue to square peg round hole, let it evolve, see where it goes. And from there, it was like, okay, you know, from TV, it was like, but I really want to be, I want more than five minute tidbit segments. It's not enough. It's not enough of an impact. It's not enough of my sharing. I want to be more authentic and real than that. And so then it was like, okay, I want to be a speaker. It's like, okay, how do you become a speaker? So it was like, you know, go and and figure that journey out. And then from there, it's like, okay, I need a book. And then it's like, go figure that journey out. And then it's like, okay, wait, turns out you're infertile, must have child somewhere along the way, you know, go through that process, come out of, you know, that journey with the baby, go through postpartum depression, and are like, the whole system broke again, right? And it's Mm -hmm. like, who do you want to be? And then it's like at every phase since then, it's like, who do you want to be? How do you maintain that touchstone to like the core of who you are so that you can keep pushing and Mm -hmm. working and striving, but without falling into the race and the chase and that natural instinct that I have, right? Which is like, how do I become the most successful and the most amazing overnight so that I can be like, I did it. And then I can just like, feel good. Mm-hmm. And every day is that reminder, you know, with the TED talk, with all of these successes, you know, it's like, along the way, you think, you know, when I land my first cover of the magazine, like that's going to do it. Or like when I land my first TV segment, that's going to do it. Or when I have my first keynote talk that I'm, you know, really getting paid handsomely for, that's going to do it. Or when I land my first TED talk, that's going to do it. And mm-hmm. every step of the way, you're like, there's no destination that's going to do it. Mm-hmm. Every day has to be the choice to live in alignment and to cultivate your authenticity and cultivate that joy and to stay connected. And in that will come these other things, but there are no other things that are going to finally make you feel good enough. Mm-hmm. or finally make you feel worthy, or finally make you feel like you made your parents proud, or finally made you feel like you made yourself proud. Mm-hmm. And so that is the present day, right? The present day is, yes, fine. I've got a book coming out. I've got a podcast. I've got the TED Talk. You know, all of those things that need to be a part of the ecosystem when you're trying to be an entrepreneur and trying to figure out your impact in the world and the best ways to deliver that impact. Mm-hmm. But the real journey is like, how do I continue to battle the narratives and unlayer and dig deeper and fine tune so that all of these thing things that I'm doing are for impact and meaning as opposed to the external validation that mm-hmm. not only was I like born and raised desperate for but then we like landed ourselves in social media like what is that i'm about to swear so i'm gonna not but what is that that's like takes indian upbringing and then amplifies it to you know a whole other level where if you're someone that craves external validation well here is your playground Mm -hmm. and you can be in that vortex as deep as you (laughs) want to go hoping that someone will like you enough. Mm -hmm. There's so much in your story there that like there were so many different gems and I obviously won't be able to like recap them all. 
But I wanted to start with, you know, when you decided to, you know, leave your corporate career and, and to follow your passion in the beginning where you said, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out. You had faith, basically, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. you allowed trust to lead you because you were feeling misaligned in the corporate world. And, yeah. you know, I hear from so many women and it's usually majority of the women that even come to me for coaching is they're in these careers because that's what their parents wanted them to do or society expected them to do, but it's not what they wanted to do. So it felt completely out of alignment. But in that, I guess that space of you feeling misaligned and, you know, you said you had eating disorders and were doing all these things, but when you decided to make peace, you know, to rehabilitate, to, to take your, I guess, when it came to the the eating disorders and you having to lose weight for things, it was more performative. So it was like on the, mm-hmm. you know, the outside surface of change. But yeah. then when you went through that process, you basically went to the core of that change, the identity of that change to make it more permanent to switching from, you know, the self-harm and the unhealthy eating habits yeah. to wellness. Exactly. And then being able to feel fulfilled, you know, with what you're doing when you started doing uh, the personal training, how you felt aligned and the difference in how that feels. Like I want the women who are listening to take, if they take anything away to take that point away is, you know, when you're doing what truly brings you joy, you feel aligned, you feel great about it. You don't wake up every day dreading to go to work or, you know, dreading Mm -hmm. what you have to do or hating your life because it doesn't feel fulfilling. It feels completely, you know, misaligned. And then yeah, I love how so true that feeling is, and it's it's you know it feels hokey, right? Like mm-hmm. it feels hokey to be like, oh, it's all about like the feeling. And you're like, no, really though. Like you know, especially <laughs> those of us who are so in our heads and and driven and Type A and all those things. It's like. Oh God, you know, at the age of 38 now, I'm like, oh, I have to learn how to connect with my feelings because they hold all the answers this Mm -hmm. whole time. And Mm -hmm. it's so true and it feels so rudimentary and so elementary. And, you know, we're just like, no, it has to be more complicated than that. But you're like, no, man, turns out it's not more complicated than that. Like, if you're not happy, that is fact enough. Now, what you do with that, yes, complicated. But even mm-hmm. just being able to identify that as like a valid problem yeah. that deserves being solved, I Absolutely. think is an important acknowledgement, acknowledgement sorry, for women, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I understand, you know, when you said, you know, people who are, um, you know, certain personality types or, you know, think a certain way when it comes to understanding what happens when you connect with your feelings. Like I'm going to like not go into the whole coaching mode right now, but just for the listeners (laughs) to understand like your subconscious mind, that's your feeling mind. And it has more control over what you do than your conscious mind. So when you are connected to your feelings, not only is it um, easier to make things happen in the way that you want them to. And for those of us who are, good with connecting with their feelings. It's much easier to manifest what you want when you connect to the feeling. Like I'm actually doing a a book study with another coaching friend of mine with the book, um, The Power of Awareness by Neville Goddard. And he's just talking about like anything that you want, connect to the feeling. What would that feel like? You know, those are faster ways to not only- Get what you want. Yeah, get get where you want to go. Exactly, exactly. You know, and, and to feel aligned and to- you know, get to the truth of, of who you are and what your desires are. But I love how you also even created your own lane by being authentic. Because when you said, you know, with the, the Brown community, you felt like you weren't quite within what they would be looking for because, you know, whether it be they're maybe covered in, in modest wear and not really mm-hmm. into, you know, working out and those things or for, you know, the non-South Asians you being able to be your true authentic self and growing that way. I think that's another thing for the listeners to take away because sometimes mm-hmm. people who are, you know, looking to whether become an entrepreneur or they are an entrepreneur, they're looking at what everyone else is doing and trying to uh, copy or mimic. But when you are your true authentic self, 
you create a lane for yourself and you start to attract those who are like you. So maybe there may be like tons of other people out there that feel that there is no space for them because they don't quite fit into any particular box. But then they see someone like you, Sonia, who is being your true authentic self. And you're like, yes, I am South Asian, but I'm cutting off all my long hair. I'm not fitting into, you know, the typical stereotype. I'm going to do Mm -hmm. me. So you attract more people that resonate with that. And that's how you create community. Yes, exactly. And, you know, it's, it feels difficult, right? Like, you know, even, you know, years into this journey, even now, it's like, the feeling that it's all so saturated. And where Mm -hmm. do I fit? Yeah, still comes up time and time again, right? Like, you know, it, it is about sort of taking that first step. But then that step comes back every month, (laughs) every Mm -hmm. week, every year, you know, on this journey to be like, yeah, but like, where do I fit? And I think normalizing that is also important. Yes, You know, it's about being your authentic self. It's about knowing that showing up as who you are is going to bring value to those that you need to connect with. But then also recognizing that like, that's not a finite feeling mm-hmm. and your authentic self is also going to evolve based on where your life goes and what happens yes. and, and the unlayering that continues to go on. And so it's like you want the feeling and you also have to be okay with the uncertainty along the way mm-hmm. because it's convoluted. It's, it's not straightforward and it's worth it. Right. It's like it's both. It's both. It's not straightforward. It's not linear. It involves that connection to yourself. And it's absolutely worth it because, Mm -hmm. I mean, entrepreneurship is messy, but man, it'll force you to look all of your subconscious beliefs in the face, (laughs) whether you want to or not. Let me tell you that. (laughs) Agreed. One thousand percent. I became a full time entrepreneur in 2009. And obviously, you know, it's had its ups and downs, but it's totally forced me to, I want to say do the work. Like being being an entrepreneur is a personal development journey. It is. It is. Uh, Actually, the rest of it just happens to be the output along the way, but it actually is. It's, It's more of a journey within than it is a journey out there. Yes. And you know, the rest of it ends up being bonus and excellent. And um, I, I think, you know, the fact that, wow, you've been doing this since 2009, that's, that's incredible. Like, look at your resilience Thank and you. tenacity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's why I say resilience is my superpower, because yeah. <laughs> it has not been easy being a single mother of three full-time entrepreneur oh. for this long. Cannot imagine. Cannot yeah. <laughs> imagine. I'm at all points ready to give away one of my children. You know, they were like, have two kids. Like, it's so much fun. And I'm like, two kids is too many children. One child. That makes yeah. sense. Two children. I may also have 10 children now. Like, what were people thinking? And then to know that you have three. I'm like, wow. I salute yeah. you. I don't know how you're doing it. <laughs> it's incredible. It's definitely not easy, but you know, people will see an image online on social and just assume that, you know, life is perfect, but yes. just like every other mom, it comes with its ups and downs. But I would mm-hmm. you know, I I would love to touch on two things. Cuz one, I I would love to know what your superpower is. And two, in your TED talk where you said, you know, social media is the ultimate Indian parent. I want you to quickly break that down for us. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Um, Okay, my ultimate superpower, I guess I would have to say is willpower. I think that has been a strong characteristic of mine since day one, this need to forge forward and continue to try and fight for excellence, I think has just been woven into my DNA since the beginning. Now, I will say that it is equal parts like a major blessing because it comes very naturally to me, that ability to persevere and be resilient and push through and tap into that willpower is very natural for me. However, mm-hmm. with that comes the ability to override a lot of other characteristics, emotions, feelings, thoughts, 
that make me a human being and not a robot. Mm -hmm. And so I say that it's a superpower, but with all superpowers, there's like, you know, the double edged sword. And for me, it's like that, that is the piece that I continue to work on reconciling. It's like, how do I keep it as my secret weapon without bulldozing my existence along the way? Because everything's fine. I'm fine. I'm moving forward. It's fine. Everything's fine. You know, if everything Mm -hmm. is always fine and you're always forging forward, then when are you honoring the other stuff, right? When are you honoring the not good stuff, the feelings, the, the, the fatigue, the pain, all of that. And so, so much yes, and also work in progress, which is essentially the theme of everything I've said today, apparently. <laughs> like, it's so amazing. And also, it's so hard. We are always under construction. We're, all, we're ever evolving, right? What's, what's not growing exactly. is dying. So, exactly. Yeah. You yeah. got it. Okay, now as far as social media is the ultimate Indian parent, that was one of those really strange statements that came out through sort of like a deep dive that I was having with my speaker's coach. And, you know, we were talking about the fact that like, you know, so much of what I want to say is just the very basic platitude, which is like, just do you. And just doing you doesn't lend itself well to a 15 minute TED talk. So we were trying to be like, okay, but like what part of that, like what part of this platitude do I have experience with and and how has my insight really come about? And we were talking about my experience in social media and, you know, taking several social media hiatuses because I was really getting sucked into the vortex and the narrative and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, then sort of stepping away and and coming to the place where I'm at now where I'm just like, I I don't get swallowed by it anymore. I've got very clear evaluation criteria for myself. I found healthier ways to engage and I feel aligned and in harmony. And so as we were thinking about that, one of the things that I said loosely was like, yeah, because I've been training for this my entire life, as in Mm -hmm. the evaluation criteria that's not my own, the persona of perfection, the excellence, the curated image, all that sort of stuff. I mean, I had been doing that since I was three. And so Mm -hmm. in some ways, it made social media so natural. And in some ways, I was like, whoa, I don't do this anymore, though. And so now Mm -hmm. how do I find a way to be here in this world? And as we were talking, we were actually sort of joking. I was like, yeah, because like social media is literally the ultimate Indian parents. It's like, take my two parents and now multiply it by a billion. And here's all the parents just ready Mm -hmm. with their evaluation criteria to judge if you are satisfying it or not. And it was such a silly statement. And in that moment, we both were like, Hmm, this is weird, but we like it. And so (laughs) it just sort of ended up being the theme. And weirdly enough, it allowed me to sort of weave in my history and my experiences growing up and the calling off of the wedding and that conditioning into what is actually an epidemic for all of us now, right? Like, we are mm-hmm. all, I was in it from the beginning, sure, but we're all in it now, you know, chasing the destination, yeah. living for the image, you know, selling ourselves out just so that we can grow the followers, do the things, show the, you know, show the people we're good enough. And I, I think, you know, I took 25 years to begin the unlayering to decide that it's not worth it and that I, really do want to live for me. And if through Mm -hmm. making that very unusual correlation, there's a scenario in which people can sit back and look at their experiences online and what it's doing to them, I think there is going to have to be a course correct and a shift that comes um, Mm because it's not sustainable for us internally, right? Like we just, we can't keep performing like this without hitting a place where we finally, hopefully call it and say, it's not worth my happiness. And Mm -hmm. so I hope that as weird as the message is, I'm hoping that somewhere through the stories and the little, little jokes, there is uh, some depth that people can take away. Wow. Thank you so much, Sonia, for just sharing all of your truths and your gems with us today. 
I truly, truly appreciate you. And I feel like there are so many other questions I wanted to ask you. And I'm like, okay, so I definitely have to have you back on for part two. (laughs) I would love to be back on. And likewise, I think you and I are just going to have to be like besties offline as well so that we can like (laughs) dig into each other's stories. There's so much here that I would love to know as well. And so I look forward to continuing the conversation. And uh, it was such a pleasure. And I, you know, I said it before, but let me say it again. I just admire what you're doing so much and the impact that you're having. And like, what, look at look at this amazing creation that you have given to the world. I think it's just it's incredible and very inspiring for all of us, no matter where we're at in our own journeys. Thank you so so much. That means so much to me. And, you know, if there's anything that um, I could do to support what you're doing or be of value to, I would be more than happy to. Um, We're definitely going to be new besties. Um, (laughs) Yes. To all you legacy leavers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms. Don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And I just want to thank each and every single one of you that continues to listen each week to help the show rank globally in the top 1.5%. That's out of over 2.8 million podcasts. Feel free to join the community of Legacy Leavers and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter at awalkinmystilettos.com and receive a free copy of the Gratitude Journal. Or you can grab any one of my books available on major online bookstores. And if you could think of one woman that will receive value from hearing Sonia's story. Please share it with her. Feel free to screenshot this week's episode and we'd love to hear what resonated with you. You can tag myself at the real McKinney Smith and you can tag Sonia at Sonia Joss. That's S-O-N-I-A-J-H-A-S. And continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling.